Hello and welcome to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Cummings, founder of the jewellery brand Cleopatra's Bling. This month, we return for season two of the Cleopatra's Bling podcast, where we continue to meet the creatives and craftspeople who inspire our artisanal jewellery collections. Last season, we met with a beekeeper poet, a wild woman dancer, and a mermaid historian. Okay, welcome everybody to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. <laughs> We're here today with Khalifa on a nice semi-cold Melbourne day, as per <laughs> usual, on my birthday, over coffee. Um, yeah, we're very excited to talk about all things birth and pregnancy. So I'd like to introduce you to Khalifa. Khalifa, <laughs> could you introduce yourselves to us and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, um, I'm a birth and postpartum doula. And I mainly focus on the spiritual connection to mother and baby and also um, primarily women and how they feel during pregnancy and really being like true to themselves and um, and understanding what type of birth they initially want. And I direct them to that, essentially. Great. Mm -hmm. So I guess only in the last couple of years, I've sort of understood what a doula is or not even understood, but heard the term as my friends and I all get older and more people have babies. Um, And I think it's also become more fashionable, I think you could say, to have a doula. So could you sort of tell us what a doula does? Yeah. um, So a doula pretty much, what I explain from the difference from a doula and a midwife, but I think too, there's a lot of confusion there is a doula deals with women from the waist up and a midwife deals with women from the waist down okay um (laughs) so a doula essentially helps families um educationally emotionally and spiritually um and assisting them you know if they're choosing a home birth to a hospital birth um yeah and that's we kind of just direct them and support them and whatever they need really amazing um, and so what's your background and what inspired you to become a doula? Mm-hmm. Um, well, my mother actually inspired me. She is just this really strong, beautiful woman that had six kids and her language and s- surrounding birth was always so positive growing up. And we talked about her birth experience always in the house. And I think um, growing up, I realized that that experience was so, so rare to a lot of women Um, And so that kind of directed me to be interested in like how I can support women and make them feel um, and help them feel good and supported and loved during this birth process and also change to like the connotation of birth and the language. Mm. Um, I feel like there's so much fear around birth and my mom was so um, direct and to express how beautiful it is. And so, yeah. So she had a good experience. She had a great experience with all her six, her six births. Wow. Yeah. And all like, yeah. So she talked about it with you guys pretty openly, which I find also quite rare. Most mothers, I mean, I spoke about it a lot with my mother, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about their N- birth experience. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of women that I support never really hears about their their mother birth experience. It's something that kind of comes up when they're pregnant or even mm. afterwards, um, but never really in a deep sense. And my mom was just so open about it. And I think maybe because she had great experiences. And um, That's so interesting. Hmm. Um, 
so did you have to do any kind of training or was it sort of um sort of an intuitive process to learn how to become a doula yeah so i did my training in new york city um at carriage house birth in brooklyn and that's where i met some really powerful beautiful women um men mainly Lindsay Bliss. She's actually, um, I consider her my mentor. I think she's just so outrageously truthful and honest about the birth um, world. Yeah. Um, and so I was, so I did like a, a weekend that's for the training for like birth and then a weekend for postpartum. And then I did a lot of my training at a midwife, um, birthing center in Brooklyn and that's where I learned a lot about birth and just the medical but also the emotional that comes with it Um, and I think from there I knew I wanted to be a doula in that sense Mm -hmm. and I was doing that for maybe like six months and I just volunteered and every birth that came up I just ran to the call (laughs) and I was like I'm there I'm going Um, so yeah I think that that's definitely so I remember when we when we had lunch, you talked to me a little bit about birthing centers, mm-hmm. and you said that in America that's quite common, but then in Australia it's been phased out. Yeah. And I had no idea, obviously, because I've never thought about birth yeah. in my twenties or when I was living in Australia in my teens. Mm-hmm. But can you tell us a little bit about birthing centers and how they're sort of like the bridge between home birth and mm, hospital? That's a good one. Um, yeah. So in New York, there. There are a few birthing centers. Um, most of them have closed down. Um, and I think that's the scenario that's happened to Australia as well. I think the last birthing center was a few years ago and they closed um, at the hospital. Um, birthing centers pretty much, you feel like you're at home having a home birth, but it gives the security of families to feel that security of having midwives being mm. there. Um, And not necessarily being at your home. It kind of like changes the environment so that, I guess, um, make people feel less fearful having a home birth. Yeah. Um, But it also gives you another option instead of having a hospital birth that some women may not want, Mm. but also feel a little more fearful having a home birth. So Yeah, it's um, a nice happy medium. It definitely is. And unfortunately, Australia doesn't offer that. I think there's actually one um, birthing center in Geelong. But it's quite small and it's pretty hard to get into. Mm. Um, but that's the only option. I wonder why they've done that. I suppose it's the system is different here in that it's free. So yeah. maybe... I don't I know, s- in, in the US, going to a birthing center, do you pay? Um, yeah, actually, mostly it's um, your, your insurance cover it. I mean, okay. some women pay out of pocket. Um, but more so home birth, you're actually paying out of pocket. Whereas... Really? Yeah. So here, same way. Um, you're paying out of pocket for a home birth unless you're connected to um, a hospital, which is only like Sunshine, I think, does it. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So many things. So many that you things. find out when you become a, an adult <laughs> that I've never thought about before. Yeah, but the reasoning why there's no longer birthing centers here in Australia because it's um, midwife based. So only midwives actually run a birthing center. And I think that control of. Um, not having an OBG. I don't think you guys call it an OBG, but... Like the head doctor? Exactly, a head doctor to mm. run it, but usually it's only just midwives running it. So and the system is changing. Female. So it's a kind of a ironic to me that they would not let exactly. women run birth Exactly, yeah. I'm going to try not to get political. Okay. I definitely... <laughs> I mean, we can see, go that. <laughs> we can go down that, that route. 
Um, so what's your philosophy about pregnancy and birth? Obviously it's a very open-ended question, but mm. maybe you could comment on, you know, what you've observed being a doula and present at a lot of births. Mm, I think my philosophy, philosophy is actually being in tune with yourself, right? Mm. So slowing down, eating good, healthy food, um, making sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're making time for yourself of sitting down and, you know, um, talking with your, your baby or uh, making intuitive, conscious decisions as to um, studying um, what to prepare for mentally and emotionally. Um, I think that's my philosophy of, you know, women that's thinking of um, getting pregnant and also women that are pregnant mm. um, is making sure that you're educating yourself. Um, yeah. And I guess like the, I feel that potentially modern day society, mm. there's a lot of misconceptions about pregnancy, but also like a dis, I feel like, like the lack of connection to the whole process, including mm. before you fall pregnant to like mm. afterwards. I remember my mom saying to me that when she wanted to get pregnant, she focused on her health from like before she was pregnant. So that her body was really in the optimal, you know, health in order to even fall pregnant. Mm. But I feel like, I don't know if you agree with this, but in the West that it's sort of forgotten about the pre-pregnancy stages to prepare your body. And then exactly. They call that conscious conception. Yeah. Right. And so that's usually like a year before you actually um, get pregnant. So Mm -hmm. you're really like doing a detox um, and not that doesn't mean like, you know, eating um, greens and, you know, doing juice detox. It means like a detox of letting go of things, right? Yeah. Birth is emotional, um, a lot of emotional. So it's a lot of, you know, trauma that you're holding on to, fear that you're holding on to. So if you're not detoxing that, yeah. you're not letting go of those things, that's going to transition into your birth and your postpartum. It's all connected. And so I think, yeah, the philosophy of having a conscious idea of like, what your fears are, what you're holding on to and realizing that that's not going to help you during your, your birth experience. And probably also the fact that the onus is sort of put on the woman, whereas the man should also focus on his health. And, oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I th- think that even through seeing friends go through problems with um, fertility and it all being focused on the woman and then, then discovering that actually it was the the men's health problem that Mm -hmm. stopped it yes um which is obviously not the men's fault it's the system you know not interrogating I think further but also in the case of conception I wonder if from you know the perspective of a wholesome yeah um conception if you if you have an opinion or if in the you know the doula world you guys have a a general concept like general opinion about men also yeah you know what role in the I I mean, that's such a good topic to talk about because there's this book called The First 40 Days. Um, I've heard about this. But she has a second book that came out. And for some reason, I can't remember the second book of the name. But she actually, there's a massive chapter in regards to how to take care of the man or the man taking care of themselves. Mm. Um, And that regards to food, that regards to emotional. Because like you said, we just put it on women to be conscious about their pregnancy. But what about men, right? So they're they're a big part of it, a massive Mm. part. You know, without them, we have a child essentially. So... Um, yeah, what are they doing, right? So how do they feel in this relationship? How do they think about 
having a child and how that's going to affect their lives, how that's going to affect their relationship with their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, how that's going to affect them and their sense of manhood or, you know, being a father. What does that mean to them? And what does that mean to when they're a kid and their father? And so you think yeah. about all those things. And um, mm. if that's not resolved, then it can definitely affect, you know, a, someone getting pregnant. I mean, definitely. Also, it's empowering, I think, if you're looking after yourself mm. in the process. It's sort of like. So needed. Yeah. And I think it's like. We sort of talk, I think it's all put on the women, but it's not fair for the men too, because they want to be as part of, a part, as part of mm-hmm. it as the women, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. 100%. Like my dad said he'd take me to mother's group, really? mother's club, and he'd be the only man there. And he couldn't understand like, why you know, cause is him and mum would take it in turns and, right. you know, and he'd be like, he would, and all the women were in, like, they're incredulous. So like, wow, you're so involved and he was like it's my child <laughs> right as he should right yeah. yeah but i don't think it's because men don't want to no i don't think it's not that at all so many men just like what can i do like Craving. how can i be involved like yeah absolutely um like you know but i think too we have to um i guess just teach them to understand that they they can do all those things Definitely and nurturing. it's nurturing i mean mm. um but also the women like to let go of some things right yeah. and be like actually can you can you partake yeah um and assist me can you breastfeed can you <laughs> I, think, I think it is like also a, a you know definitely people sort of playing into their stereotype as well, mm. you know, the woman sort of being like, well, it's all on me, but actually you can share it. Oh, absolutely. And I think too, um, what I talk to my clients about, especially in postpartum is having a plan to make sure that your husband or your partner is, um, doing his chair, yeah. meaning, you know, if they can't breastfeed, obviously, then they can make some meals for you. They can do a massage. Yeah. They can take the baby, do some skin to skin, um, because oftentimes too, when the partner is not necessarily feeling like they're part of, they, they have a disconnect with the child. So yeah. it's really great to make sure that they're involved in some sort. Definitely some agree. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad cause I think men get put down a lot, mm. but I think often it's because they're sort of pushed into this role of just like go to work and come home and then see and the provide. child for two seconds. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so I think like, I don't know, I've seen a lot of like, young men now who are really more in touch with themselves Mm -hmm. and who are super involved it makes me think maybe the baby boomer generation as well it was like quite a traditional role so it's changing now hopefully yeah I I think I definitely see a shift I think I mean talking to my mom and like what my father did compared to what men are doing now these days are pretty phenomenal definitely um so being through like being with someone through pregnancy and birth is a pretty intimate experience. Like mm-hmm. how do you find your clients, you know, react to having someone in the room and, and is the yeah. initial connection kind of a, a, a sensitive mm. um, moment or do you find that they're pretty open to it because they've come seeking I think, assistance? Yeah, I think it's both really. Um, I think sometimes my clients that um, somehow – when I how I meet my clients is usually like word of mouth um, from collectives. Um, a lot of women, or you know, they kind of um, prepare themselves to have a doula in their 
and their space. Um, but other times that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's extremely intimate. So I always try to meet them in person before we even decide to work together because yeah. um, I have to agree of want, wanting to work with you as they do wanting work with me. Yeah. Um, it's a space where you need to feel fully com- comfortable and confident mm. that this person is going to support you. So mm. I think it's essential to um, have a great relationship with your doula because it's such an intimate space and you're, you're working with them for months, you know, yeah. um, especially um, postpartum and you're also supporting their partner as well. So definitely. Yeah. Um, so what do you do during the labor with your clients? I'm so interested in this this part. Um, so I guess I can talk about to the prenatal sessions that I have with them. So I usually have like three prenatal sessions and that's where we kind of go really deep into birth. Um, we talk about the hospital system because that's really important. I mean, you have to be a realist and, um, and also understanding the hospital system, if that's something you want to choose, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean for you, right? Um, and what kind of... So this book is called Birth um, with Confidence. She talks about the willing woman uh, in a hospital system. And that pretty much means, are you okay? And do you do you feel like you're going to have a voice when things are pushed upon you um, yeah. and during this time? And so we talked about that in my prenatals and we talk about, you know, the cascade of things that could happen. Um, And then we talk about, you know, postpartum. We talk about um, your emotional state that can happen, the things that um, we hold on to as children and it comes up into our birth. And we really go deep into that conversation. Um, We talk about preparing oneself for postpartum. What does that mean by, you know, asking for help? And that's something that's so hard for anybody really to ask for help, but especially women. Um, we tend to feel like we have to do everything ourselves and, oh, mm. I, wait, I got this. Of course you got this, but doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't have a village supporting yeah. you. And unfortunately, we, we don't necessarily have a village anymore because we live so far from mm. our family members. So we really talk about how we can set up a village for these families. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I, I keep in touch with my clients um, until they deliver. Usually I'm on call after like 37 weeks. Um, but even before then, we have, you know, conversations over the phone or text or email um, throughout their pregnancy and they're just, you know, um, updating me on their scans and how they feel and what they're eating. We talk a lot about health and food, um, because that's essential, um, to giving your mind clarity as well. And, and then for the birth, you know, it depends, um, for a hospital birth, I, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, I haven't been able to attend, um, hospital births, but for home births, um, I attend, which is so great. Um, whereas hospital births are usually on the phone or they Zoom me or FaceTime me, which is pretty amazing that we're still able to communicate and connect um, from there. Um, but yeah, I run to the um, I run to the where they're birthing, and um, you know I'm just there for support. So I'm you know coaching them, telling them that they can do it, just making them feel confident yeah. and powerful during this this time of fear or um, mm. uncertainty or the unknown of what's going on with their body. 
Um, but these are the things we do discuss, but sometimes you forget you're, you're pushing your baby, you're going through labor, it's hours and you're exhausted. So what, what motivates people during this time? I say it's like a journey. It's like a marathon. And so it's amazing when you have not just a doula, but your partner understanding that as well. And having really badass midwives that, um, that know your birthing plan and really understand what kind of birth you want and really help you direct you to that. Um, and then from there, after the birth, I'm with them for like two sessions for postpartum. Um, and that's where, you know, we do some binding work. We do a lot of, uh, food prep, um, a lot of healing food to help them heal. Um, really make sure that they're staying in bed and kind of my philosophy about postpartum is like the first 40 days is when you're in bed, you're taken care of and you're not walking and doing anything that's um, strenuous. Like you are making sure that you're just relaxing and really connecting with your baby. Mm, So interesting. What Mm. do you think is the main issue that you see that women have to overcome during the actual birth? Is it fear or Mm -hmm. is it the pain? Yeah, I think it's both. I think fear and pain kind of... Mm coincides i think they're two of the same things really right fear of pain fear of pain yes exactly um we are so often told when you're feeling pain that something is wrong Mm. right whereas birth it's the opposite so pain is actually good in a sense because you're knowing that your body is actually working really hard and your Mm. philosophy your whole body is opening up for a baby to come out but when you change the the language with Mm. pain and make it so it's not suffering pain, right? Um, Then it changes everything. But in this day and age, pain is looked upon as, okay, well, let's let's get her an epidural. Yeah. Um, Let's make sure she's comfortable. Birth now is spoken about, let's make women feel like they're comfortable during birth. And birth is not supposed to be comfortable. Um, You are working hard to get this baby out. So Yeah, if it was comfortable, you'd probably just... (laughs) Light, lighter and not push exactly doesn't Um, make sense it doesn't make any sense um Mm. so i think that is the biggest biggest sort of hurdle to overcome yeah it's definitely like in our culture i think you know the minute you have a headache you take a paracetamol Mm -hmm. so yeah i do i do think that's probably cultural oh absolutely the moment that we have a cramp um, we're like, oh, well, let's take a pill and pop a pill and no longer feel this. Yeah. Um, but understanding, too, when you're having your period, what's happening? Your cervix is opening up. <laughs> um, so that's it that's can <laughs> it can hurt. So that's the same thing as giving birth. Your mm. cervix have to open up to se- 10 centimeters. That's 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 a lot of work that your body has to go through yeah, to get it's there. It's wild, isn't it? It's so wild. A good friend of mine had a baby recently in Istanbul less than a year ago. Well, actually in another part of Turkey she's from Istanbul Mm -hmm. and um she said that she didn't have any drugs and she literally wrote to me I rode the waves of hell Mm. and she just like pushed and she said she was Mm. in another dimension because she was conscious for it like Mm -hmm. she wasn't under any drugs but at the same time she wasn't conscious because she's her body's feeling so much pain and (laughs) Mm. you know the different hormones that you're not used to right she said parts of it she can't even fully remember remember. yeah and she wasn't on anything so i found that very fascinating it's so fascinating you're out of your body yeah um 
It's, her, her partner's like, I remember everything. <laughs> I'm sure he did. He's like, <laughs> not ready for another baby yet. Wanna That's amazing. Have a break. Um, so can you tell us about providing doula services as a young woman of color to POC? Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I'll just tell you what I see from the outside. Okay. Like there's more of a culture within people of, people of color society to pass down knowledge through lineage and and women. Mm. Whereas I feel like we don't have that in the West, in a like a very white Western society. Like I don't think that there is this woman to woman culture where I grew up. Whereas I feel like from what I've observed, you know, within cultures that, you know, really respect their elders and right. their ancestors, there is more of that. But I would love to hear what you have to say to that. Well, yeah, I mean, um, the birthing center that I worked with, um, they were mainly women of color and mostly all the midwives were actually women mm. of color, mostly. Um, I would say like maybe 60 to 70% of them, mm. which I've actually never seen. Um, until that time. And it was pretty fascinating to be around that, um, but also understanding that's so rare as well. Yeah. Um, in New York City, there's a massive community where, you know, um, I, I can't remember her name exactly. So her doula collective, her organization is called Ancient Song Doula. She has a like a community that surrounds women to make sure that they're supporting women of color of mm. any sort. And she, I, I don't think it's free anymore, but um, I think it was at some point where she would give like free doula um, services to women of color, or maybe like it was a sli- sliding scale um, to make sure that they're getting supported and making sure that they're getting educated because in the system, unfortunately, women of color are not looked upon or not listened to. So they they usually, you know, unfortunately have a higher risk of dying at a hospital oh than gosh. they would a white woman um, and also babies as well. And it's because of the, the system of thinking that black women has a stronger pain um, tolerance than a white woman who like where, where does that come from i've never heard that that before. comes from uh slavery times i mean where you know back then women were birthing in f- like the fields and not being supported but oh like goodness. oh saying like oh they have a high tolerance of pain so it's totally fine and so making sure that this community which I should know the name of this woman. She's really highly known in New York City and kind of all of the birth world. We can add that to the notes. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, She really persists on, you know, women of color having education around their birth experience and how it can be totally different. Even, Even if they're birthing at home and making sure they have a midwife that understands their birthing process and knowing that they are a woman of color and how it's their the philosophy of their body is different yeah. um, their traumas are different so making sure that they're educated upon that I think yeah I think I was definitely um, got a lot of education from that even mm. just realizing too that we do have different trauma that we hold on yeah. to um, from you know our parents and their parents and their grandparents so it's it's yeah very interesting so I've I guess from what you've said I've I can kind of glean that within the system, mm-hmm. there isn't like, you know, they're obviously not advantaged, but within the actual 
you know, POC, POC. community, mm-hmm. do you feel that there's quite a close knit web or do you think that, you know, through... I think um, I think there is, especially in New York City, yeah. where I trained in, and did most of my doula and midwifery assistance um, services. Um, but yet there is a lack of, of course. Mm. Um, there's a major lack of. But I think they're definitely trying to build that up. Um, and it's difficult because it's really in regards to money, right? Being yeah. a doula is really... It's it's a privilege to have a doula, and so not everyone can afford a doula. Um, and fortunately, there are you know programs that help you know POC women have a doula service. Um, but it is it's mainly about money. So mm. that answer your question. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's just interesting. Like from the outside, I would say that like even going to America, mm-hmm. I find that women lift each other up quite Mm. a lot I find that's quite um you know open and you know having been spent a bit of time in the U.S. in New York I've I've found that women are very like community orientated more than Australia I would say okay but um so I was just wondering if that translated also into the field of birthing and yeah like I said I mean I think it's a yes and no for me. Yeah. What I've seen is mainly I honestly support a lot of women that are white yeah. because they can afford it. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, I do a lot of non-for-profit work for black women because okay. um, obviously I worked with black women as well that can't afford being a doula, yeah. but mainly that is the... That's, I, I guess I find that unfortunate but at the same time great that you can offer that yeah to them and that it's probably something that's becoming more normalized so with that probably it'll become more affordable as it becomes less of a yeah privilege I'm hoping in the future right I mean at one point I know New York was trying to pass a law to have doulas be under insurance Mm, that would be amazing Um, but also it was like a lot of people thought that was great and other people thought it was not okay because then there's some control over that. Right. Um, how doulas can right. run their business or their yeah, philosophy and things true. like that. So, um, but also it was really great because then that means that, oh my God, you know, a lot of women can actually be supported, which mm. everyone needs, everyone needs support. Um, regardless if that's a doula or a sister or a friend, like it's, it's much needed. Yeah. So what's your experience working with the healthcare system? Um, and also with like, as we were talking about minority mm-hmm. clients, but mm-hmm. in Australia and the US, have you found there's like, have you, I guess, living in Australia now with a free healthcare system, yeah. you've noticed a lot of differences, but fundamentally, do you think there are a lot of differences or does it all come back to the the system? The system. I feel like fundamentally there's a massive difference. I mean, the fact that in hospitals, midwife run is amazing, whereas in New York City or in the States, that's unheard of unless you're at a birthing center. Midwife run. Yeah. So that means in the States, um, in hospital settings, it's nurse run or OBG, whereas in Australia is midwifery run. Um, And of course, they have a um, main doctor that comes in if there's an issue or complication, but usually it's just midwives. Um, that is unheard of. They they stopped doing that probably like in, 
I shouldn't even say the time because I, I think I'll mess it up. But um, a long yeah, time ago. a long time ago that, yeah, that's unheard of in the States, unfortunately. Um, mm. They kind of pushed the midwives out of hospital systems. So fundamentally, that's a that's a massive difference, right? Because midwives are actually trained just to give birth and yeah. help women give birth. So why wouldn't you have that? But um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's absolutely beautiful that it's here in Australia, women can have a child for free. I think that is absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, and I hope that, you know, people pick up on that and other countries pick up on that and realize like that's actually needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, like I spoke with my friends who were sort of planning babies and also my GP, I just mm-hmm. asked her opinion about you know, because you can pay here to have private health. Right. But, um, and she said, look, I don't think you get the same Yeah, she care. said, I think you get all that you need in public. Mm-hmm. You do. And I just thought that was so telling. Because mm-hmm. you can actually pay this thing called the Medicare levy. Okay. Which makes you pay less tax. However, it's kind of like you don't get your then put into public uh, private health care. But because of my dad going through his leukemia yeah. treatment and all for free, I'm kind of like, no, I'm not going to pay for private, private, even though it would make me pay less tax. I want to stay in public because I think the public should be supported. I think healthcare Abs- is universal. And exactly. It should be free. It should be free. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was should be kind of shocked by that. But um, yeah. And my, my GP said, no, you just get incredible health care in public. Yeah, I mean, you, you really do. And the fact that midwives to come to your home after you give birth and have sessions with you. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> that's unheard of unless you have a private midwife. Very and private. You, I assume you pay a high. Yeah, I mean, it can go from US. like three grand to more to have a private midwife um, in the States. Um, and that's where you get the one-on-one care. But also, too, there's there's always, you know, negatives and yeah pros to anything so the fact that in public you don't have a consistent care meaning having a one midwife um that is supporting you throughout your whole pregnancy it's pretty hard to get in the, into that program yeah um but overall i think they're doing their best that they can definitely mm-hmm. yeah um so do you think there is enough mental health care support for women postpartum because I feel like that's also something I've noticed with my yeah. friends that have gone through, you know, postpartum, postpartum. depression or yeah. just anxiety or feeling like inadequate as a mother or mm-hmm. things like that. Breastfeeding. Um, oh, my God. Breastfeeding. Yeah. So many of my friends said they just had to give up because yeah, they tried support. and, it, and it, they just couldn't work for them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in regards to that, I don't think there's enough communities that that women are seeking to, if mm. that makes sense. I, I think there's there, of course they're there, but I don't think the education is there to know where to go to. Um, I don't think there's enough support, um, not even in the communities, but also in the communities of your your life and your home, like having the heritage of your parents, tell, your mother telling you how to breastfeed and seeing that every day. Mm. I think in that setting too, there's, there's none of that. Um, once again, it's like going back to the village of, having you know support system all around like to your grandmother talking to you about breastfeeding and showing you how you know their baby latch and there's none of that so we unfortunately have to um 
kind of um the words is not Sub, coming to i me. guess sub substitute it yeah substitute yeah. it and rely rely on the um system to yeah. help us in that sense instead of our family members and friends um to help us because you you feel more comfortable when a, f- a friend is telling you like actually this is you know this is what helped me and this is what felt good for me um but that that's not talked about really why do you think because i feel like for me it would be quite um intuitive to ask either my mother or my partner's mother or just like a woman I trust a friend who's had a baby do you think it's like a a shame thing or do you think it's sort of feeling I don't I think I think some of it has to do with because they didn't have a good experience with it and so you know they when you don't have a good experience with like breastfeeding for an instance you don't really talk about it Mm. um yeah, I think that's a, a major thing. And also to, um, let's say, you know, you're having trouble with breastfeeding and you decide to get a lactation consultant um, to come in and assist you and help you. Um, but it's not just that. You need a support system, right? Yeah. Um, breastfeeding is constant. Like, you know, you have <laughs> every hour, every, hour, yeah. every second. Um, so you need that support system that someone even telling you like, oh, you're doing such an amazing job, like take yeah. it day by day. Like you're, you're doing beautifully. You're feeding your baby. You, yeah. you know, I know, mm. I know it's hard work and I know mm. you've been sitting on this bloody couch for the last, you know, yeah, 20 well. hours, <laughs> but um, know that you're doing such a wonderful job. And I think sometimes that's all women yeah. need to hear. So definitely. So what about like um, the importance of understanding families and their communities mm-hmm. in relation to pregnancy and childbirth? Mm-hmm. And do you think the the healthcare system lacks in that regard? Um, I think they're doing a better job of it. Um, even during this COVID, I found that a lot of my clients were able to... Um, link into little communities, um, especially around their neighborhood, which was really wonderful. So it was a lot of new, new uh, moms that were just talking and sharing about their, um, you know, their highs and their lows, not Mm. just negative things, but a lot of positive things. And I think women at that time, at this time really need that, um, because we're not necessarily with our family at the moment. Um, and some people are international and so, you know, they don't have any family here. So I think that was a really beautiful thing that hospitals, um, do here and they, they connect you to other mothers around your neighborhood and, um, yeah. So I think they're, it's so nice. I think it's, it's really wonderful. Um, I even noticed something which I found quite astonishing and I didn't know if it existed in all realms of the healthcare system. But when I had a COVID test, they had speakers of so many different languages at the the center where they were testing. And so they'd go up to these people who were clearly, you know, struggling with English. And I was just like, oh, that's incredible. Mm. Like a lot of different, you know, it wasn't just the major languages like Mandarin. And it was very, a lot of different languages that you know, you wouldn't even think about on your daily travels that is, and that is, they were there to help. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can only imagine how isolating and scary having a baby during a pandemic yeah. would yeah. be. Have you had clients that have gone into labor during lockdown? Yeah. Um, without their partners or did they, or was it sort of, was it during the extreme lockdown or... Yeah, I had clients that their partners had to leave after three hours of giving birth, wow. which is 
outrageous. <laughs> like, um, Why after three hours? Like, Because that was the hospital protocol. Mm. Um, that was the time where, you know, we had that... I think this was like our second lockdown. They yeah. just started that one one support person. Um, so a lot of my clients felt really just like out of wits. Like there, you know, a lot of emotions going on when you've after delivering a, a baby. I can't even. And imagine. then you don't yeah. have your partner that's not able to be there for that time. Um, and even let's say if they had a cesarean, they still had to leave. And cesarean's a major surgery, and so they wouldn't be able to pick their baby up and so and you know it, yeah, yeah that it was initial really, bonding is like yeah exactly and it's because you know they didn't have their partner there they had to leave and so um i suppose there'd be a lot of grief and there's from, so much grief so much trauma with yeah. that as well like waking up you're like oh my god who's with me right now no one yeah um, so that was a big with thing everyone with just masks <laughs> yeah and and that as well there's no connection there yeah um and also not being being able to have a second support person i think that was a major thing um yes. and a lot of people a lot of my clients especially felt like um yeah the, the, once again there was some power taken away from women a little bit in regards to that mm. um that rule do you think more people decided to home birth during COVID because of oh, the absolutely, lockdown? absolutely. I think a lot of women decided to home birth because they would have their village around them, yeah. um, and also because you get the one-on-one. Yeah. Um, during COVID, you weren't able to have a one-on-one session with a midwife mm. only on phone call or Zoom um, until you're 37 weeks. So imagine not seeing anyone throughout your whole entire pregnancy. Um, that is, it, it doesn't even feel real at yeah. some point, very isolating as well. And so a lot of, a lot of families definitely shifted on home birth and midwives were very busy at that time. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty bad, amazing but... actually. Yeah. Really, really, really amazing. When the system shuts down, everyone turns, <laughs> to turns to the, the natural, village. yeah, the village, the village mm. of having, you know, two midwives, having your support person, multiple support person, um, being able to have your doula as well, um, being there, because that was something that, you know, unless your partner wasn't going with you, you'll be able to have a doula, but if not, then your doula wouldn't be able to be there. So imagine hiring someone during that time of like, oh, I know I'm going to have my doula, this is going to be great, I'm so excited, and then last minute, oh, I'm sorry, only one support person. That's yeah. devastating. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of families definitely shift to home birth, which is quite amazing. It's interesting how it's a sort of a common theme throughout COVID that the pandemic has made everyone turn mm. into their inner circle a lot more. Mm-hmm. And their sort of, you know, routine and the things that really matter. So I right. suppose that sort of made them realize more about family too. Yeah, exactly. Because everything's sort of outsourced right. in pre-COVID yeah. times, you know, but you kind of got to be more, um, I don't know, you've got to be a little bit more creative in how you approach things now. Oh, most definitely. And a lot of that stuff got cut away. So mm-hmm. you can't outsource everything like mm-hmm. in a very, you know, capitalistic way. Sweet. Not that hospitals are capitalistic, but the way that, well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> for the record, Alipa <laughs> rolls her eyes. <laughs> But like, mate, yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think hospitals are wonderful, but obviously there are, you know, other stakeholders involved that make things more complex. But right. yeah, that's something I've noticed in myself. I'm far more like internal, internal. and focused just on 
close friends and family and mm-hmm. the important things. Exactly. And you realize just the slow. I mean, during this time, uh, miscarriages life. went down. Like, I think it was this insane number. Really? Whereas women. Because of stress. Because of stress. We're not no longer running around. We're just slowing down. So that that's kind of a, a that's amazing. staggering result, isn't it? It's, it? It was. I mean, it was a massive deal and realized, wow. Why okay. is that not spoken about more, do you think? Or is it? I'm, I, uh, I haven't heard you that. You haven't heard of it? No. Uh, I should send you this article. I would it's, love to read it's it. It's amazing. Um, I'm not sure, actually. It should mm. be. I think we should be talking a little bit more about the, the positives of, of the pandemic. Of the pandemic. Because I think a lot of focus has been on... How we can't travel, yeah. you know, all the all the sort of, you know, the negatives. But actually, I think there's been a lot of positives for a lot of people. I think so. I think there has been a lot of positives. Um, Obviously, think- like we can't, we're in a very lucky situation in Melbourne right. where the pandemic has been managed right. really managed. well. Yeah. It's a small population. Right. Compared to, you know, it's not a high density country like a lot of countries. So it's l- probably less contagious than mm-hmm. it would be in, say, India or you know, really mm-hmm. populated countries. So I can't ignore that fact. Absolutely but globally, not. I think a lot of people have, from my, you know, conversations with friends all over the world, they've mm-hmm. said they feel a bit of relief that they don't have to run around like they used to. And Yeah, I mean, women are able to stay home longer mm. um, after birth. I mean, that's, that's amazing. We're going back to, you know, those, those days when women were take off a year or, um, yeah essentially be a housewife yeah <laughs> well let's not put that in there <laughs> edit take that housewife bit out <laughs> i mean you can be a housewife and be an entrepreneur like oh, we would be absolutely and look at that the covid actually brought a lot of small businesses right over yeah. online and my business i think i think there's been a lot of shifts in my business mm-hmm. personally because number one it supports small artisans like when right. i say small i don't mean little people i mean <laughs> yeah, no, I cut that bit out too <laughs> um, my business supports like you know artisans that aren't you know working in sweatshops yeah. number one so they've their work has increased mm-hmm. all the women that work with cleopatra's bling are independent so they've all they're all just working from home earning their living they don't That's have amazing. to run around or stress yeah. but also i think the shift away from you know a lot of the big companies that you know during covid a lot of their bad practices were revealed mm-hmm. you know about how they mistreat mm-hmm. people so that they're sort much of so been you know the cancel culture is really real now which i don't know i don't always agree with everything in cancel culture but you know it needs to be talked about not just yeah. canceled but yeah. i think um the interesting thing is that a lot of small companies like my company mm-hmm. are more celebrated because they are supporting, supporting. small you know, independence. Right. So I think like someone like me who, you know, I've worked very hard, but it's nice to see the fruits of my labor, labor yeah. even during a pandemic. And a right. lot of my friends that have small businesses have said the same, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that I could easily work from home with a baby, like all, most of my friends actually who have businesses. So that's an interesting it's, shift. It is too. an interesting shift. I mean, of course, let's not acknowledge that it's been challenging, of course. Definitely. Right? Like, you know, morally challenging yeah, too, to see mentally the world and go through turmoil. Yeah, but. of course, but there's definitely positives to it. So yeah, be interesting if the news spoke about that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think we need that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like some positive sort of little stories on the news would make everyone feel a bit better. I think. <laughs> I agree. 
Um, so what would, what off advice would you offer to anyone right now who's anxious about pregnancy and giving birth following mm. the, the, the year, year, which was, you know, yeah. Um, 2020, <laughs> although I don't think 2021 started any differently to be honest. No, I don't think, I don't think with so everything going on with the U S and politics. Fine, and, I would say find your support system. Yeah. Um, talking about it is super helpful and it's it's actually mentally um, good for your mental um, and and you'll realize too that you're not the only one I think a lot of women find that they're the only one that's feeling this way um, and when you start talking you realize that you're mm-hmm. not and you can actually get amazing support and amazing advice um, from other people that may feel the same or were feeling the same at some point yeah um, I think talking is the what you can do that would definitely be my advice yeah because every woman has a birth story if they have a everyone baby. oh my goodness and they're and they're beautiful they're not negative not yeah. all of them are i think in regards to that like stay clear from the negativity of the birth experience yeah. because um even if you say like oh that's not going to be my experience it's in your back of your mind and so make sure that you're listening to like beautiful positive podcast or you know talking to that one individual that's like actually my birth experience was so beautiful and amazing and this and um I think that's yeah I think that will help your mental and really Mm. help you prepare for um something that may be really beautiful you know birth isn't doesn't need to be negative at all yeah I don't actually think I've really heard women um volunteer a positive Mm. birth story I think I've more heard my whole life sort of um kind of a more negatively geared rhetoric about birthing so it's kind of always this looming fear Mm -hmm. of like one day that'll be me yes and like it's gonna hurt yes exactly but I think yeah as you get older maybe you realize that the culture has you focusing on on the the negative just like you know women are like oh I we have our periods it's so easy for men Mm -hmm. I'm like I kind of enjoy having a period me too I it's you know, I'm, I'm getting to enjoy it, but yeah, but yeah, like With hearing some, and- <laughs> exactly. What about you? I mean, um, you said you were saying earlier that a lot of your friends got pregnant or have they expressed some positivity about their pregnancy or about their birth? And I think like I've had what the friend I mentioned earlier in Turkey, mm-hmm. she had it like, she loved it, but she did a lot of work on herself prior mm-hmm. to yeah. having a, a baby, a lot of sort of, you know, family trauma that she's yes. worked through and things like that so I think that she was she had a nice balanced approach obviously you know she would FaceTime me when she was a balloon and really mm-hmm. really pregnant and she was like I just want the baby out now yeah, <laughs> like yeah over this but she yeah fundamentally passed on to me a really positive birth story, birth story. um and she was really like you know happy she said that she was she's really honored to be able to have that in this lifetime as a woman mm-hmm. my mom has passed on to me positive things apart from obviously her cesarean which I yeah. think she probably felt deep down like she would have liked to you know it to have panned out differently but right. she had such an, a positive pregnancy that mm-hmm. I think I've never been scared of pregnancy because of what she talked to me about growing up mm-hmm. um yeah, so I think my friends haven't really passed on negative stories. I'd say probably culturally I've been okay. sort of indoctrinated with negativity about birth and 
you know. Yeah. And also sort of the martyrdom that women feel a little bit, which I've tried to always sort of push aside, push aside. Yeah. as I get older, especially, you know, having periods and having hormones that fluctuate mm. and things like that. I've tried to become at peace with that because I have had painful periods growing up and same yeah, yeah things like that so I you know obviously having it that monthly has been a burden but you know learning about my body and right. holistic health as well has helped me mm-hmm. manage it mm-hmm. so I guess that taught me as well that I could manage, manage my body not like micromanage you know what I mean like yeah things absolutely that happen, but you know how I treat my body really affects how my body treats me in exactly a way. yeah you know? exactly that yeah so yeah like I think I've always found it odd growing up when I heard women say, you know, how easy men have it and how hard it is to be a woman and things like that. Like it never really sat with me because I thought, oh, I think it's an honor to give birth to a human. Literally, I think it's one of the most magical things that that we, and I think we forget how magical it is. Yeah. Until it happens to you and then you've just got the love bug. Yeah. And then they talk about it in hindsight. It's a wonderful yeah you know, gooey thing it's, it's i'm still very shocked every time um i think it's just so powerful when you see yeah. a woman giving birth i yeah. mean i can't even imagine can't i've even. never obviously seen it but yeah it would be so what advice do you have for finding a doula that resonates with you for mm-hmm. the listeners um i would say to interview um, a few doulas to really make sure that you find someone that um, resonates with you mm-hmm. um, and also feels like you're your friend or a sister yeah. to you because like we said earlier it's very intimate um, mm. time that you are with this this woman this this support person um, whoever it is that is your doula I think it's, it's very important to interview a couple and make sure that you feel totally comfortable mm. with them and that you feel yeah. like you can actually share with them um yeah I think that's that would be my advice great awesome well thanks for being here today and talking about this with us of course I'm sure you'll get some um Cleopatra's Bling followers sending you questions because I feel like that yeah, a lot of There's people so much to talk about. This. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we 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 didn't even go like we didn't know how you know we may have so to much part two. <laughs> yeah. to really d- d- delve into <laughs> to this. delve into it it's or a Q and A night with people. <laughs> that would be actually really yeah. fun. I would like that because obviously, like it's very new mm. subject for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, lots to learn. So, for anyone listening that wants to follow you or um, get in contact with you, how can they find you? Yeah, um, my website, um, which is called The Earth Doula, um, www.theearthdoula.com, and also my Instagram, um, which is Khalifa underscore Dusat. Can you spell that for yes, it's everybody? <laughs> it's K A L I F A and then underscore underscore d-o-u-c-e-t great mm-hmm. so thank you so much thanks for ha- a- thanks for being here with us that's yeah, really fun <laughs> we really believe in women supporting women which is why we decided to work with a women's collective on the black sea in turkey that would be a charity project to raise money for women's education in turkey the umay beaded necklace celebrates a lot of these values that are important to us Umay, the goddess of fertility, is a protector of women and children. 
the oldest evidence of Umai is in the Orokon script. From these, it is understood that Umai was accepted as a mother and as a guide. She lives in the blue sky and is said to bring good luck. You can find this necklace on the website in the Black Sea Women's Collective collection. This podcast was produced by Liam Goff and the Cleopatra's Bling team with original music by Cameron Elva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and leave us a few stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter on cleopatrasbling.com to keep up with the newest updates on all things Cleopatra's Bling. Until next time, stay curious.